So we are in a uh, we are in a chapter that involves judgment. You know Sodom and Gomorrah. We've heard of these things before. Uh, if you look through the Bible at all the cross references, you see how God uses that to explain a lot of things. But I did go through a class many years ago on how to teach the minor prophets, and there's just so much judgment, judgment. And uh, the guy said, look, when you're, when you're teaching judgment passages, make sure you wear a yellow tie. So I looked for my SpongeBob tie, and I realized we, we weren't a tie-wearing church. So it just judgment is so heavy, you can't wear a dark suit for it. It's just too much. So I did wear my pink um, crab shirt. So certainly you can't be intimidated by a guy wearing a pink crab shirt. That said... Um, something else that's very important to me is when I'm preaching this passage, I have to bring the mirror, and the mirror goes here because I really am preaching to myself. And you don't ever want to forget that in these passages. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's really easy to say, well, that's about those guys, and you know what they're like, and we're not like that, and that's not really why the passage is there. So we want to get all we can out of it. So just know that as I preach this, I'm, I, I am definitely speaking to myself. I've been chewing in this passage for some time, and it is certainly the... Um, least desirable passage uh, that Gunner's assigned me to preach, but it's okay. Um, it's, it's there, it's in the Bible, it's God's Word, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we need your wisdom and your grace to get us through this passage. It's hard to see necessarily where it fits in the overall theme of Genesis, and yet um, you uh, springboard it, and there's so many other things that's foundational. Uh, so help us to take in all the truth that you have, to apply it right, and I especially pray you'd help me to properly handle your Word uh, terrifies me to do wrong in handling your word, Lord God. And then help us to apply it to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis 19. Okay. A uh, lot of slides today. Well, there's one. Um, <clears throat> a lot. Not all in. We talked about all in. Last week we saw this encounter between God and Abraham, his friend. Friend of God. One who was all in. In Abraham's case, his decision to be all in resulted in direction from God, we saw promises from God, and friendship with God, and even the presence of God. It's an amazing thing. Abraham's all-in character was seen in his hospitality that he showed to strangers as they walked off in the distance, said, come eat with me, come eat with me, and what a good choice that he made. We saw it in his phenomenal prayer life towards God as he begged God for mercy toward Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, probably thinking about his nephew Lot. And I trust as you navigated through life last week and you were in some way motivated to cling to some aspect of God's character and nature that could hold you through, some truth you could beg God for, some truth you could hold on to and know that this is the way God is. I can trust you in this event, Lord. And that's why we look at these passages of scriptures, because they're for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.11, you'll hear it again. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says this, talking about this uh, Old Testament stuff. It says, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the age have come. That's what God says to us about these passages. They're for us. So we want to glean what we can out of them. There, the Bible indicates that We are in the end of the age. Can you look around and kind of smell it? I mean, things are happening, right? Not to be afraid of it. This is the time. This is the place that God has put us. It's a good thing. And with that in mind, we enter Genesis 19, where we focus on Abraham's nephew, Lot. 
In looking at Abraham, we were able to focus on the blessings experienced by one who was all in. With Lot, we see the consequences of one who was not all in. It's a two-sided coin, and it's important to present both sides of the coin or be unloving. Now, in a moment, I'm going to read out of Genesis 19. Here at Grace Point, we, we really cling to the importance of biblical accuracy in our teaching. Super important here. But that said, Genesis 19 is one of those PG-13 plus chapters. And given the audience, I am going to present this in more of a G-rated fashion. So I trust that the parents can go home and discuss as much or as little detail as they want with their children. But you're free to read along and see where I soften it a little bit. And I just think that's right because we have kiddos here. Um, Genesis 19, verse 1. Now, the two angels, who are we talking about? Those guys that Abraham entertained last week, right? Okay. Now, the two angels uh, came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, no, we'll take our chances in the square. We'll sleep out here. It's fine. Verse 3, yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So initially we see that Lot was showing the same kind of all-in hospitality that Abraham showed. It's a custom of the Middle East and should be a custom of ours as well. Uh, Recall that Um, when God called Abraham back in Genesis 12, God directed Abraham to leave his father's house and to go to an unseen land. And at that time, Lot, his nephew, decided to go with him. That's a pretty big step of faith. That's a big deal. At that time, um, the, the dedication displayed by Lot makes a strong case that initially Lot was probably all in. He clearly left everything to go with Abraham. Now, later in Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot separated by mutual agreement. And Lot took his flocks and his tents, and he moved to the lush valley of Sodom. In Genesis 14, Lot is among the captives defeated of of Sodom by the armies of the four kings. The four kings, five kings. He's he's part of that group. He's, He's swiped away. And Abraham and his men go over there, and they defeat the armies of the four kings and bring Lot back. When next we see Lot, he's living not in tents, but inside the boundaries of the city of Sodom. And we don't know how that took place. We can speculate. Over a period of several years, we see Lot transition from a tent dweller to a city dweller. That's not bad. It doesn't mean that he was compromised by moving to the city. We don't know all the details. But it is a classic example of how one can transition from identifying with God, God's ways and transition to identifying away from God's people and move to identifying with those who are not God's people. Slow, steady compromise. And that is exactly what the following verse actually tells us happened with Lot. Verse 4. Before they lay down, the men of the city... 
The men, of, uh, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter, and they called a lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out here so we can have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. In Genesis 18, God told us the outcry of Sodom is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. Remember that? What is the exceedingly grave sin of Sodom that provoked the Lord to judgment? It should be identified. And it would be really easy to focus on the uh, the uh, homosexual aspect of this event and to go down that road of application and talk about those people. But that's not the issue here. The actions of Sodom reflect a base deviance on a corporal level, corporate level. And I think the issue is not so much on what they intended to do, but on whom they intended to do it. In context, we see the hospitality of the strangers shown by Abraham over against the victimization of strangers practiced by Sodom. What the men of Sodom intended to do was was not an act of biological gratification, and I'm choosing my words carefully here, but an act of dominating and humiliating the weak and the helpless. And on top of that, they acted as a lawless mob. Now, Zechariah 7 says this. This is God's heart in this issue. Thus thus hath the... You've got to say it in King James. Thus hath the Lord of hosts said... Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Deuteronomy 27, cursed be everyone who perverts justice due to a sojourner, a traveler, a stranger. Malachi 3.5, last book of the Old Testament. God says, then... This is a condition for judgment. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift, a swift witness against you, those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God has a very poor view of people who would take advantage of the weak, the vulnerable, the sojourner. That's God's heart. So yeah, the means they set out to do it is one thing, but it's what they were doing that God really took offense at. So did Lot move? into a lawless town, or did Sodom become increasingly lawless while Lot was living there? How did Lot get in this situation? I mean, obviously the men didn't do this to him. How did this mob become uh, mob mentality come about in this, in this city? And I think we can safely speculate that the king of Sodom had lost some standing, some position, some power after the battle of the four kings and the five kings. He probably didn't have as much prominence. Well, clearly at this point, he was not performing his function of community lawkeeper. He wasn't keeping these things in check. And when there is no submission to authority, people tend to become lawless, or at least a law unto themselves. And we see this time and time again. Judges 21, we see a story in there. Uh, Judges 21, it says, in those days, during the time of the judges, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this whole story of Sodom is almost repeated verbatim 
with another victim in Judges 19. It tells about this. I'm not going to go into it. Look at it if you want. And compare that God's purpose for government, for keeping us in check. Uh, Romans 13, 4, he says, For the government is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the ones who practice evil. These folks in Sodom weren't being kept in check. It's just that simple. And still, how does this transition from civilized to lawlessness happen? Well, it's no surprise the Bible actually tells us. I'll read you out of Romans 13, just the, or Romans 1, just a couple of verses. Let me read them to you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Read that. They became nuts. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image and form of corruptible men. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. So their bodies would be dishonored among them. For this reason, God gave them to degrading passions. For their women exchanged natural for unnatural, in the same way their men uh, burned for one another unnaturally. And we see this in Sodom. The entire town had shaken off the shackles of authority. And they had become an authority unto themselves. We will do whatever we want. They rejected their need of God and had become, if you will, a God unto themselves. And God gave them over to the insanity which they actually sought. Now, this was written not for them. They're all dead. But it's written for our example. What do we do with this? When society rejects the reality and authority of the one true and living God, it follows that everyone's view of truth is now correct. It's their own truth. Everyone in the class deserves an A. My answers are correct. Everyone in the race deserves a trophy. Everyone has the right to choose their own gender. And everyone must tolerate and applaud everyone's right to be right. It's called insanity. (laughs) And if you ever, if you ever see that creep into society, if that were possible, if you ever see this kind of social insanity, we can be sure that God has given them over. Society has crossed the line somewhere along the road where God said, enough, you want it? Here. They caused God to act. But wait, there's more. The problem is not this them against us issue. Rather, when society is compromised, it will compromise and influence those of God's children who are not all in. Just look at Lot's warped way of trying to apply the rules of hospitality and make everything right. Look at verse uh, 8 of chapter 19. Lot goes outside to fix things his way. He says, now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with a man. Please 
let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they've come under my roof for protection. How compromised had Lot become that he would offer his daughters to be pillaged by this mob? Dads? Ain't going to happen, right? We can only hope that Lot's daughters didn't hear these words coming out of their dad's mouth. Imagine the betrayal. Lot had become a compromised man. That's a fact. We don't know at what point Lot lost his drive to be all in, but for you and I, we need to be fearful and understand that the pleasures of the society in which we live, the positives, the things that we like, the things that make us comfortable, can cause each of us to put on blinders when it comes to the deviance in our society. We get used to it. We get benefits from it. I mean, I know, I, I, I know the commercials are really bad, but ESPN, I mean, I watch sporting events from all over the world. This is great. The commercials, it's just, yeah. And I'm preaching to the mirror here, folks. This is for the mirror, okay? If you're going through the motions of, a, of attending church and benefiting from a clique of Christian friends, be advised, there will come a day when you're going to have to make a stand. You're going to have to take a position. The mob is going to be outside of your house. And you will stand or fall based on the sincerity of your commitment to be all in or not all in. So let me ask you right now, are you genuine or are you posturing? And you know who you are. I got a mirror, don't worry. It's just a matter of a choice. We just have to decide. It's a this or that. Because our lack of commitment to being all in will eventually affect our marriage, our children, and our posterity, our legacy. Again, 1 Corinthians 10.11, Now these things happen to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. It's here more than it's ever been before. You can't miss it. And I'll tell you right now, as I speak these words of truth to you, I personally am plagued by the Romans 7 tug of war. The things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I I do, I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of sin? Oh, blessed be the Lord who's given himself for me. And maybe that's your struggle too. I think most genuine Christians struggle with that. So let's see how Lot stands. Let's see how he fixes this. Verse 9. So they said to Lot, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we're going to treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. And maybe Lot had once thought, I can share the Lord with this town. I can be a witness to them. I can have some influence for good among these people. Regardless of what he told himself, he was nothing in the eyes of these men. It hadn't worked. There was no good reputation. Verse 10. But the angels reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They, then they struck the men who were at the door with blindness, both small and great. And they wearied themselves trying to find the door. 
Do you think the angels actually needed Lot to stick up for him? Do you think he needed Lot to go out for his daughters for them? Doing wrong like that, for whatever reason, is never good and right. They didn't need his help. Verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else do you have here? A son-in-law, a daughter, daughter-in-law, whatever. Whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this city because the outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Okay, so Lot truly failed at having any influence, any positive influence, amongst the townspeople. His, his ministry didn't quite work out. Perhaps he will fare better with his future son-in-laws. Verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. You're joking. Okay, Lot strikes out with the townsmen. Lot strikes out with the sons-in-law. Perhaps he'll do better with his own family. Verse 15, When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are, your, who are here, or they'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot hesitated. Good grief, Lot hesitated? What do you mean you hesitated? You know, during the uh, firestorms of 2007, um, I, I wasn't smart enough to be a fireman, I'm a cop, and my, my cop assignment was to facilitate evacuations of those in the pathway of the rapid moving firestorm. And there were those who were already headed for the hills, like they, they heeded the warning, they were packed, they were gone. They were, uh, they, uh, there were those that laughed at the warning, saying that nothing's going to happen, and in some cases for them it didn't, in some cases it did. And what amazed me were, were those who could look out their window and actually see the flaming beast approaching. And these were 70 to 90 mile an hour gusts of wind pushing this thing. And yet they were unable to make the decision, of, but I got my stuff. I, I got my, my stuff. They're so tied to their stuff, which I can understand. But the fire's coming, and Lot hesitated. Lot hesitated. Lot did not want to leave the life he had established for himself. He was tied to it. He didn't want to leave the society he had chosen. He was tied to it. He was internally torn over the condition of Sodom and over his comfortable position within Sodom. Yeah, it's bad, but I'm doing pretty good in the midst of the bad. The Bible tells us, 2 Peter 2.8, it says this. This is the oddest thing. He says, For by what Lot saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. What makes Lot righteous? I don't see it in his behaviors. In fact, what makes any of us righteous? The difference between Lot and the people of Sodom is Lot had a belief, a trust in the deliverance to be provided by the seed of the woman, Genesis 3, the seed of the woman who we know as Jesus Christ. Lot had already committed himself to God's plan of deliverance, Jesus Christ. And he demonstrated that at first when he followed Abraham. He was all in. 
And with that in mind, when you trust Jesus Christ to take away your sins, you are not then later qualified, disqualified by some bonehead behavior. There are stumbles for those who are all in. Wait for next week with Abraham. He's going to do something bad again. This was written for our good. So the first step is make, before you say you're all in, is you have to choose to trust Jesus Christ to pay the penalty of your sins. And perhaps there's someone here who, like Lot, is drawn to the idea of being all in. Maybe you're tormented by the lawless deeds that you see around you, but you are also socially, business-wise, connected to those deeds, and it makes you hesitate in making a choice of being all in. And you know what I'm talking about. We all have this struggle. So who's this for? Don't ignore it. Who's this for? I got my mirror, don't worry. Verse 16. But Lot hesitated, so the men seized his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. Key phrase in this section. This is not really a lesson about Lot, but it's about the Lord rescuing Lot. God rescues Lot from the men. God rescues Lot from the doomed city. And God rescues Lot from Lot, from himself. Moms, your righteous souls are tormented on behalf of your children and grandchildren who are surrounded day after day by the lawless deeds. For the compassion of the Lord is upon you. Wives, your righteous souls are tormented on behalf of your husband who is attached at the hip day after day with the lawless deeds. Guys, you can't fake all in to your wives. They know. For the compassion of the Lord is upon you. And this is an example of the character and nature of the true and living God. You can cling to the compassion of the Lord which is upon you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So even when Lot hesitated... The angels brought him out. Verse 17. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life! (laughs) I love this. Angels are very expressive. Do not look behind you. Do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Lot, sober up. What are you thinking? Do you see see how he's so attached to this? Christian, listen, when one has been living a life that is not all in, they necessarily have trained their mind to ignore the leadings of the Lord. The Bible calls that a hardening of the heart, simulated for cross-references. When we develop a habit of turning a deaf ear to the Lord, that habit persists. It sticks around. It doesn't go away just because you have a desperate moment. You train yourself to not listen. And hence, Lot's choice to offer God 
an alternative rescue option. Verse 19, now behold, he's bartering here, he's bargaining, sounds like a salesman. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, for the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee, and it's a small town. Please, let me escape there. Is it not small? That my life might be saved. Those who have been involved in any kind of counseling or the raising of young adults have seen this. Someone comes to you and presents a problem. And you naively offer them the solution. And they counter with, I can't do that because lame excuse, lame excuse, lame excuse. Right? When someone cannot do what's right, it's because they do not want to do what is right. They're not waiting for the right argument. They don't want to do it. Don't be fooled. And Lot does not want to flee to the mountains. He likes living in a town. Who wouldn't? Us. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 21. The angel says to Lot, I've had enough of this stuff. Look, Lot, behold, I grant you this request also. Go. Now, to over, uh, not to overthrow the town of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do my job until you arrive there. Angels are serious about doing their job when the Lord assigns them. Therefore, the name of the town is called Zoar. Does that help? No. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. So it's what, noonday, he gets there finally? Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. From Lot's perspective, he made it out. This idea of living with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world paid off. He's okay. It worked for him. He's escaped destructions. His, daughter is, his daughters are safe from the despicable fellows. Uh, he's been rescued from that which deeply troubled his soul day after day as he saw their behaviors. And he has a new town to live in. But the sin of compromise has a far-reaching effect. You see, Mrs. Lot did not want to leave her home in Sodom. If the angels acquiesced to Lot's alternative solution, perhaps they would acquiesce to her as well. Verse 26. But his wife, from behind, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, I don't know if this means that there was a petrified salt statue of Mrs. Lot standing there, kind of like when the sun rose up over the fabled trolls in The Hobbit, you know, and they turned to stone. I don't know that it was like that, but, but since the angel could not bring destruction until Lot entered the city of Zoar, and Mrs. Lot suffered the destruction meant for Sodom, I know that she did not enter the city of Zoar with Lot, it is probably safe to say that she turned back to Sodom. That's probably a more accurate way to look at that. She, she wants, that's where her eyes are. It wasn't just, I don't, I don't think this is a backward glance, gotcha. But maybe I'm wrong. Regardless, the Lot's spirit of compromise rubbed off on Mrs. Lot. It affected somebody else. 
when you and I fail to choose to be all in, it will have consequences on those we love. And that should be motivation for men with real spines to be all in. We believe in duty. We believe in doing the right thing for our, for our charges. That's what we do. And that doesn't mean going to work every day necessarily always. There's other duties. Verse 27. Now Abraham rose up the next morning and he went out to the place where he stood with the Lord before and he looked down into Sodom and Gomorrah and the land of the valley and he behold, there's this giant plume of smoke coming up. You've seen that before. Big furnace. And thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Now it's kind of fun to understand that Abraham begged, but Lord, if there be ten people, will you spare them? Even though Abraham's words were not exactly right, God still took action on his heart. Yeah, there weren't ten, but aren't you really asking why I saved Lot? Yeah, he saved Lot. He knew what Abraham wanted. But that's not the rest of the story, is it? You see, Lot's alternative plan of escape did not bring him a sense of peace or security. Verse 30, Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. He was afraid to stay in Zoar, and he stayed in a cave with his two daughters. Lot felt fear in his alternative plan. It didn't satisfy. He headed for the hills with his daughters. And then we see Lot's spirit of compromise, a spirit that had influenced influenced his wife towards destructive choices, had actually also influenced his daughters as well. Verse 31 through 35, and I summarize. There were no men around, and Lot's daughters figured out a way to have babies anyways. Verse 35, you can read it yourself. Verse 35, thus both daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The first bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites. The second bore a son who she called Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon, the the Ammonites. This last portion gives us some explanation of the origin of Israel's enemies from then on, Moabites and Ammonites, Lot's legacy, enemies of God's people. And if we could add one spark of light to the story, one good thing, um, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3, would come through Ruth the Moabitess. So Ruth was from Moab, and you can read the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful story of redemption, but that's for another time. Our takeaways, what do we get? We have two choices in the Christian faith, just two. We can be all in, or we can be a poser, a hoedad. That's it. But that's it. And even when we want to be all in, we're going to find that there are struggles and there are stumbles. But overall, the life of the all in will be characterized by a more positive experience with the Lord and a more meaningful legacy in your life. That does not mean happy times, folks. I don't know a Christian who doesn't suffer at some point again and again. And for those who choose to put all in on the shelf, I can get to that later. I mean, after all, I'm not, I'm not a bad guy, after all, am I? I mean, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I take care of my family. I'm, I'm good. We'll see that we will not only suffer moral loss in our own lives, 
but we'll also set a godless course for our children and our grandchildren. And that's our responsibility. There's no free ride. Can we agree that Lot's legacy was pretty bad? And do we see Lot pop up again? Not, not much. So, the question. Most important question in life and theology. Here it is. What do you want? Because what you want, what you want will always determine what you're going to do. Just that simple. For those of you who are struggling with raising kids and yourself in a godless society, God summarizes the rescue of a lot like this. Again, Second Peter 2. He says, And if God rescued Lot, righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. You can trust God for that. But my kids are in the middle of... I know. You can trust God for this. You just do what's right. God will take care of your kids. God knows how to rescue you, how to rescue your children from the society and the circumstances you face today and will face tomorrow. In fact, he put you there. He put you there. If you will choose daily, and it's a daily choice, folks, if you will choose daily to be all in, you can trust that God will position, he will posture, he will protect you in whatever whatever environment he has put you. You can trust him for that. So, don't give up. Don't quit. Make a choice to be all in. The alternative is just not acceptable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this lesson. There's a lesson of judgment, the other side of the coin. It's not all a pretty picture, but neither is life. And we thank you that through the seed of the woman, through Jesus Christ, we in fact can make a choice to know you, to trust you, to be all in. But Lord, we also don't, we don't hold some sort of um, uh, puritanical perspective on this. Uh, the, the holiness movement doesn't work for us. Father, you know that we, at least as men, struggle daily with the sins of our past, the desires of our future. We're, we're very corrupted by the, the way we've been conditioned, but you get that, and you rescue us. So Lord, in our hearts and our minds, we do want to be all in. We believe, but please help our unbelief. And we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus' name. Amen.